guys being seated, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 12. We are continuing in our sermon series on prayer this morning. Acts chapter 12 will be our focus passage. William Carey, a prominent missionary years ago, translated the Bible into six different languages, was called the father of modern missions, uh, once said, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer is at the root of all personal godliness. Prayer draws us closer to Jesus. Prayer uh, grows us in our faith in Jesus. Prayer makes us more like Jesus. And we have been seeing this all throughout God's Word in this series on prayer. Luke wrote an amazing account, an amazing story about the power of prayer in Acts chapter 12 that will encourage us to pray every day, all day. So we're going to jump right in. Acts chapter 12, uh, Luke wrote these words. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. Uh, Let's just stop for a minute so that we can uh, set the scene here in verse 1. Luke wrote about that time. Well, the first question we ask ourselves is, what time is about that time? Uh, when Luke wrote about that time, he was referring to the time when the believers of the first church in Jerusalem were facing persecution for their faith. The first church in Jerusalem was growing rapidly. God was doing amazing things in the church. The Jewish religious leaders were not happy, and so they started uh, persecuting the church. And the church spread out from Jerusalem uh, into Judea, Samaria, Galilee, spread also at this point in Acts chapter 12 as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. We know that Peter and Paul and Barnabas and others were preaching and teaching Jesus is alive and faith in Jesus is the only way into a relationship with God. Jews and Gentiles were receiving God's gift of salvation by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Christ Jesus. Local churches in these towns where the church spread out to uh, from Jerusalem were growing as God's power and grace was at work in them and through them and around them. And this was especially the case uh, in the first church in Antioch as God was doing amazing things in Antioch because of what he was getting ready to do through the church in Antioch. And so we understand a little bit more. Luke wrote about that time, King Herod. King Herod in this passage is Herod Agrippa the first. There is a Herod Agrippa the second. This is Herod Agrippa the first, Judean king who ruled in the area of Idumea, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and even beyond. And we know Herod Agrippa the first was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was educated in Rome and he held favor with the Roman emperors. He held favor in Rome uh, because, in part, uh, of his close friendships with some of the Roman emperors, such as Caligula and Claudius. From this point forward in our time together, I will refer to this as we read here, King Herod. I'll refer to him as King Agrippa. Say King Agrippa. Okay, we're together. So I'm going to make sure Herod Agrippa I, that's a little lengthy, so we're just going to call him King Agrippa because that's who he was as we make our way through. About that time, King Agrippa cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church. King Agrippa was an arrogant king who persecuted and attacked some of the 
brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the first church in Jerusalem. And we continue in verse 2. And he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. James is one of the disciples of Jesus. He was the brother of John, the son of Zebedee. James was the first disciple of Jesus to be executed for his faith in Jesus. We remember James, if you think back, James was one of the first four disciples that Jesus called to follow him. Back in Matthew chapter 4, we read that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee and he saw Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, and he called to them and told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And so we understand that is this James here. We then continue in verse 3. When he saw, that being King Agrippa, when King Agrippa saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. So King Agrippa persecuted the believers in the church in Jerusalem to win favor with the Jews who did not like this growing church of Jesus freaks, this growing church of Christ followers in Jerusalem. King Agrippa also persecuted the believers in the church in Jerusalem in an attempt to keep the growth and influence and popularity of this church under control. Because you see, as long as there were no problems in the territories that King Agrippa ruled over, then he could continue to rule without any interference from Rome. And when he saw the response of the Jews when James was executed... He was encouraged because they were pleased. And so he thought to himself, well, if they're pleased with James, I'm going to go get Peter. Because he knew the position Peter played here in the first church in Jerusalem. And so he arrested Peter. We continue verse 4. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. King Agrippa arrested Peter, put him in prison, and he planned to bring Peter out for execution just as he had executed James. His plan was to execute Peter. He just was waiting for Passover week to finish. That was the only catch. We see here in verse 4, we'll see it transition in verse 6, but in verse 4 we see King Agrippa is waiting for Passover week or the days of unleavened bread or the festival of unleavened bread to pass. The Passover week or the days of unleavened bread was a week-long Jewish celebration that took place in Jerusalem and it happened annually. Passover commemorated the 10th and final plague in Egypt where the firstborn of the Egyptians died and the firstborn of the Israelites were spared because the Israelites took the blood of the sacrifice and they smeared it on their doorposts. And so we know that Passover, the Passover meal, the celebration that we know as Passover happened the first night of Passover week. After that Passover week, that celebration, that first night of Passover week, the remainder of the week was uh, called the Days of Unleavened Bread. It was Passover week. And for the remainder of the week, after the Passover meal was celebrated, the Jews would eat unleavened bread, which reminded them that years and years before, the Jews did not have 
the time to put leaven in their bread because they left Egypt so quickly after the ten plagues uh, of Egypt. And once Pharaoh said, okay, get out to Moses and Aaron. And so they had to get out quickly, so quickly they couldn't even put leaven in their bread. And so this feast week, this celebration week, this Passover week was a week-long celebration. And so we know that King Agrippa arrested Peter and he was waiting for that week to finish before he brought Peter out for execution. We also see that he assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard Peter around the clock. Now that may sound extreme. You may, tend, you may be tempted to think, man, Peter must have been one bad dude. I mean, my goodness, that's 16 soldiers assigned to guard one person for a few days, 16 for one person, that being Peter, who was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. This was Peter's third time in prison. So we need to understand that this begins to make a little bit more sense. Peter was arrested, imprisoned, threatened to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus and then released in Acts chapter 4. Peter was arrested again, imprisoned, freed by an angel of the Lord, rearrested, beaten, threatened to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus and released in Acts chapter 5. And so King Agrippa was not taking any chances this third time. He was going to make sure he had Escaped once already, and he had ignored their threats two previous times. So he assigned 16 soldiers around the clock in squads of four to watch Peter to make sure that he was going to be able to do exactly what he desired to do with Peter, which was to bring him out for execution. We see in verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer, say that with me, but prayer, again, but prayer, was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. What a verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. Peter was in prison and the church was praying. The church was praying earnestly for Peter. That word literally means they were praying constantly, fervently, intensely. They were praying without ceasing all night long. So now we see the scene is set for this fantastic drama to play out that we begin to read about in verse 6 and beyond. This fantastic scene of what's happening as we move out of this passage of verses 1 through 5. We know and understand that Peter as they were in prison. We know the plans of King Agrippa. We know where the church is at. We know what the church is doing. They're praying. And this fantastic drama begins to unfold right here on the pages of Scripture in an amazing way for you and for me. And so what I want us to do is I want to identify some points about prayer that we see here in this passage 
That will help us as we continue to walk with Christ, and it will help us as we minister to those that God places around us, as we minister to the congregations that we have this day and this week. We need these truths because they will help us not only for our spiritual growth, but for our ministry to those that God's placed around us. So the first point we see is that prayer helps us with spiritual warfare. Prayer helps us in spiritual warfare. Whether we understand it or like it, spiritual warfare is real. We are members of God's family by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. We have an enemy, Satan, who is the ruler of this world. World being defined as those who are living in rebellion against God and in opposition to God and the truth of God's word. And so we know that John has agreed with Peter and Paul in their writings. And John said the whole world is under the sway or the influence of Satan, the evil one. And so we know as Christ followers, God is at work in us and Satan is at work on us. If you're taking notes, just jot this down. We've talked about this before. As Christ followers, we know this is a reality that we walk in day by day, step by step, moment by moment. God is at work in us. Satan is at work on us. Satan wants to undo what God is doing in us. Satan wants to undo what God is doing around us. Satan wants to undo what God is doing through us. Satan wants to keep us from God, his word, his people, and his praise. Satan wants to turn us away from God, his word, his people, and his praise. We understand this as followers of Jesus Christ. We realize that we are in the battle of spiritual warfare day by day, step by step, and this battle is going on. God is working in us by the power of his Holy Spirit who dwells within us, and Satan is working on us through his lies, temptations, accusations, and doubts trying to turn us away from the Lord. And we see spiritual warfare in this passage at the beginning of this passage, and we're going to see spiritual warfare throughout this passage. It's impossible to miss the spiritual warfare that we see here at this, at the beginning part of this passage in Acts chapter 12. What, what What am I talking about? Well, what we see is James, a disciple of Jesus, is executed for his faith in Jesus. John, James' brother, and the rest of James' family now grieve their loss. They are grieving the loss of their loved one, James. Peter, we see, is arrested. Peter has been beaten before. Peter has been released before. Peter has been threatened before. Peter is arrested again here and yet ultimately spoiler alert ultimately we will find out that peter is released peter survives at the end of this fantastic drama and i hope i didn't spoil it for you but he survives he makes it through so did god make a mistake with james Was God too busy when James was executed? And was he watching more closely when Peter was arrested? Did God love Peter more than he loved James? And the answer to those questions is obviously no. We know that God is sovereign and God is in control. The scriptures teach us that God that judges the earth always does what's right. We know that God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and thoughts higher than our ways and thoughts. And the good news of God's word is that God never promised us a life of uh, free of loss and pain and problems on earth. 
He never promised us that. Matter of fact, he told us just the opposite. Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations and troubles and loss and suffering and pain and problems. But Jesus also said, you can take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome sin and death on the cross of Calvary. You see, Jesus overcame sin and death for you and me. And since Jesus overcame, we can overcome by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we understand and realize this reality. We also know as followers of Jesus Christ, the truth is this world's not our home. This world is not our permanent home. And we get so focused on making residence here and and sticking our, our roots into this world. But remember, this world's not our home. We're just passing through on, our, on our, home, our way to our eternal home in heaven one day where there will be no loss, suffering, pain, problems, trials, or tribulations. And so we understand and realize the beauty of this truth, the beauty of what it means for us. And so we know until that time comes, we walk by faith, not by sight. Until that time comes, when we spend eternity with the Father in heaven, we walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Until that time comes, we engage in the battle of spiritual warfare day by day, which is exactly what Luke and Peter and Paul and John and all these authors of scripture were teaching us. And what we see particularly here in this passage, we engage in the battle of spiritual warfare day by day, step by step. We do our best to not look at our lives and the circumstances of our lives and the people in our lives from our perspective, but we look at them from God's perspective. You see, our perspective is limited. God's perspective is unlimited. And we look and understand and realize that he's in in control. And so we also realize as followers of Jesus Christ, the beauty for us is we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because we've already won the victory by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And so we understand what they understood, and that is simply this. Prayer is a powerful weapon for us in the battle of spiritual warfare. Prayer is helps us to walk in our victory in Christ Jesus as we engage in the battle of spiritual warfare day by day, step by step. We learned that truth last week as we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through uh, verse 18. And so we see it played out now in this passage. It's actually happening in this drama. We understand for these believers Because they were praying, we understand, for us today, prayer helps us in the battle of spiritual warfare. The second point we see here is a church that prays together stays together. A church that prays together stays together. Prayer was the habit of this church. Prayer was a passion for this church. Notice, these believers did not take the persecution and opposition personal. They took the persecution and opposition prayerful. They turned to God in prayer. They agreed with the psalmist who said, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And as they prayed together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, they stayed together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Though they were separated from Peter by prison, they were not separated from Peter by prayer. Yes, they were separated from him physically, but they were not separated from him prayerfully. And so we read and we see this prayer service. They were earnestly, intensely, fervently praying all night long for Peter. And as we look at this prayer service and as we see what's going on in verse 5, and as we are introduced and see it play out in the verses that follow verse 5, we realize and understand 
this prayer service by these brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus is not surprising. It should not surprise us that these brothers and sisters in Christ decided to hold an all-night prayer vigil for the brother Peter. And the reason we see and understand that is all you got to do is turn to your left, and let's turn back to Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to move fast, so if you're taking notes, you're going to have to write fast. Uh, I'm going to move fast, but I want you to see uh, why their response in chapter 12 is not surprising to us at all. Acts chapter 1 in verse 14, and I'm going to hit these real quick. All these were continually united in prayer. What does that mean? It means after Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples and followers were united together praying and waiting on God to send his Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised that he would do. Chapter 1 and verse 24, we see, Then they prayed, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen. So as they are praying and waiting for God to send the Holy Spirit, they're also praying and asking God, Would you please choose which one of these two guys you want us to select to replace? Judas and become part of the 12 disciples. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. So, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. They were praying together. They were praying daily. They were praying for one another. They were praying with one another. Prayer was a priority for these brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Acts chapter 4 and verse 24. We read, when they heard this, they raised their voices to God unanimously. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God unanimously and said, master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Well, what was it that they heard? When these believers in the church in Jerusalem heard from Peter and John that they had been arrested, threatened to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus and released, they told them, Peter and John told them this, they immediately, what was the first thing the church did? They immediately prayed to God and asked God, would you give Peter and John more boldness, more courage to preach and teach in the name of Jesus? They began praying immediately to do exactly what the religious leaders told them not to do. We see in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, we continue, and we see, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the preaching ministry. The disciples, as the church was growing in Jerusalem by leaps and bounds, hundreds and even thousands of folks were joining the church. They realized real quick, man, there were needs all over the church that needed to be met. And the disciples said, listen, we are going to focus our attention on prayer and preaching and teaching the good news of the gospel. We as the disciples, we as the leaders, ultimately we see this as the role of the elders as we play out the New Testament. We are going to focus on prayer and preaching the word. And we need to select men from among us who are full of the Holy Spirit, faithful to the Lord, who they then can serve and minister to the needs in the body. And then in verse 6, they prayed over those they selected as they went out to serve and meet the needs in the church family because the church was growing so rapidly. Acts chapter 7 and verse 59, we see Stephen is one of the ones who was selected in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the ones who was selected to go minister to the church. Chapter 7 and verse 59, they were stoning Stephen. Yes, you read that right. They were stoning Stephen, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. That meant he died right there. Stephen is spending the final moments of his life on earth. He is praying to the Father in heaven out loud so folks, those who are stoning him, can see the testimony. He wasn't just saying that in chapter 6. 
7, all throughout verse 7, he was actually living it out to the end. And at the end of his life, with the very last words that he was able to get out, he is actually praying for God to forgive the very ones who are stoning him to death. That's amazing. Acts chapter 8 in verse 15. After they went down there, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. What's happening? Peter and John went down to Samaria. The gospel was spreading to Samaria and they prayed that the people in Samaria would receive God's salvation and the Holy Spirit of God. And so we continue and see in Acts chapter 9 in verse 40. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 40, we see uh, that then Peter was sent everyone out of the room. He sent them all out of the room. He knelt down and prayed and turning towards the body, yes, the dead body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. Peter here is praying for Tabitha. She had passed away, and the family was upset and grieving, and God heard his prayer, answered his prayer, and resurrected her. In Acts chapter 10, we see the story of Peter and Cornelius, and Peter and Cornelius are going back and forth, and they're praying to God, and God's speaking to them in their prayers. And as you read chapter 10, you see Peter and Cornelius are going back and forth, and they're praying, and God is speaking to Peter and Cornelius in their prayers about how salvation is now available to Jews and Gentiles alike. Any and everyone can come to faith and trust in Christ Jesus by placing their faith in Christ Jesus in response to God's grace at work in their lives. And so when we come to Acts chapter 12 and we see that Peter is arrested and he is in prison and King Agrippa is waiting to bring Peter out for execution, we find that the believers of the church in Jerusalem are doing what they always did. They are praying. It's no surprise. They're praying. All night long they're praying our challenge as brothers and sisters in christ is to take everything in our lives prayerful not personal our challenge as brothers and sisters in christ is to take everyone in our lives prayerful not personal Are there those who are near and dear to us and who are personal to us? Yes. Yes. Same is true here. But as we take everything and everyone that comes to us immediately prayerful, going to the Father, presenting our request to him, crying out in intercession for others in our lives, it allows us to then be who God calls us to be and minister the way God calls us to minister and think and feel and act the way God calls us to think and feel and act. As the late great pastor Adrian Rogers once said, the greatest problem we face is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. It's unoffered. As we pray together, we will stay together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Though we may be separated from one another physically, (laughs) we are never separated from one another prayerfully. Though we know John and Ebby and Scott and Melissa and Wes and Vanessa and many others are on the other side of the world from us at this very moment. We are definitely separated from them physically. We're not separated from them prayerfully. We can continue interceding for them to our awesome and almighty God who hears and answers our prayers. And what a great privilege that is for us today, this week. Third point we see is prayer helps us see God work. 
Prayer helps us see God work. Prayer is a way we humble ourselves before God. Prayer is a way we ask for help from God. Prayer is a way we express our love to God. Prayer is a way we put our hope in God. Prayer is a way we seek the will of God. These believers were praying all night for Peter. They were praying intensely, earnestly, fervently, without ceasing, all night long for their brother in Christ, Peter. And what was happening at this point, and we'll see this play out, in this drama as it unfolds, as they were praying, they positioned themselves perfectly to see God work. They perfectly positioned themselves to see God work. And as we pray, we perfectly position ourselves to see God work. As we pray, we get a front row seat to see God do what only God can do. As we pray, we position ourselves perfectly to see God at work in us, around us, and through us. In us and around us and through those that God's placed around us. We get to see God at work in our brothers and sisters in Christ. And around and through our brothers and sisters in Christ. As they were praying all night long, they they positioned themselves perfectly to watch God at work in their prayer meeting with one another. But they also got a perfect spot to where they were going to be able to see God at work in Peter's life as well. And so we understand That as we pray, we position ourselves perfectly to see God work because we are casting our cares on him. Knowing he cares for us, which turns our focus to him and reminds us that we are now able to watch him work. We may not know when God will answer our prayer. We may not know how God will answer our prayer, but we know God will answer our prayer, amen? How do we know that? Because God said so. He told us he would. We know that God answers our prayers when we pray his way, not our way. God answers our prayers when we pray for his will to be done, not our will to be done. Because the truth of the matter is, God's will and way is best for us and those around us. And we see this throughout the scripture. We've covered this. We see this Old Testament, New Testament, cover to cover. We know the Lord told us in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and wondrous things you do not know. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, verse 7, keep asking that will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. So as we pray, we can confidently wait on God to answer our prayer. As we pray, we can confidently wait on God to answer our prayer. As we pray, we can confidently walk in the power of God as we wait on God to answer our prayer. As the psalmist said in Psalm 5 and verse 3, at daybreak, Lord, you hear my voice. At daybreak, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. Watch expectantly. We pray morning, noon, and night. And as we pray, we are presenting our requests to God. As we pray, we are positioning ourselves to watch God work. We walk confidently in the power of God at work in our lives. As we wait on God to answer our prayer, and this power is accessed in large part due to our surrender and our commitment to surrender to God in prayer, going before him and asking him to take care of whatever it is that's coming our way. You see, prayer helps us to see God at work in us and through us and around us in all those that God's placed around us in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, which is why we then get the joy and privilege to celebrate when God answers prayer. It's part of the reason why the scriptures teach us when one is grieving, we all grieve, right? When one celebrates, we all celebrate. How does that work? It happens as we love one another, as we encourage one another, as we pray with and for one another. That's what was happening here. Who was 
suffering. Who was without freedom? It's Peter. So you see the brothers and sisters in Christ. They weren't just goofing off, having a good time, celebrating, doing life as normal. No, they, they realized that one was suffering. And so they joined him in his suffering by interceding for him to the Father all night long. What a powerful picture of the impact of prayer in our lives and allows us to see God at work. And then we see the, the fourth point we see is we'll continue to see these points just come to life in this passage is prayer helps us sleep. Prayer helps us sleep. Amen? How many of you need some sleep? Not now, not now, not now. Okay, good. We're good. It's not now. Look at verse 6. Here we go. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution. So there we find it. There we see. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Now let's look at this verse. This is amazing. Okay, so on the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution. So we know it's the last night of Passover week. We know it's the last night of the unleavened bread. And so we know that Herod Agrippa, King Agrippa, is getting ready. It's the last night. Passover week is about to end. It's the last night. King Agrippa knows this. He knows what's getting ready to happen. He's had this plan, and he's got the plan, and he's going to bring Peter out the next morning for execution. We find out what his purpose is here in verse 6, and it's clear. It's for execution. And so it's the night, the last night of Passover week. Uh, Herod, King Agrippa is ready. He can't wait to bring Peter out for execution uh, then in the morning, and we see Hours before his execution, the night before his execution, Peter's sleeping. What? Peter was sleeping. The night, this just blows my mind. The night before his execution, Peter's sleeping. What a testimony to his faith, his faith and trust in the Lord. What an amazing testimony. I look at this and say, how was Peter sleeping the night before his execution? Well, the truth is God does not tell us specifically the answer to that question in his word. But we do know, based on the truth of God's word, some answers that we can glean from God's word and from the life of Peter. We know Peter knew God was in control. We know Peter knew God is sovereign. We know Peter knew God was with him. Peter knew God was watching over him. Peter knew God was at work in him and around him and through him. Peter watched Jesus pray all the time. Peter had watched Jesus pray in difficult times. Peter had watched Jesus pray and pray and pray again the night in Gethsemane before he was arrested and taken away to the cross. Peter was a man of prayer himself. Peter knew he needed to cast his cares on the Lord. Peter knew he didn't need to worry about anything, but in every through prayer and petition with thanksgiving to present his request to God. And as he let his request be made known to God, he knew the peace of God which surpasses every thought, transcends all our understanding, will guard his mind and his heart in Christ Jesus. Peter was sleeping, chained to a soldier on each side of him with two more soldiers standing front uh, and guard over the door to the prison. Peter was not stressing out. Peter was sleeping in. Peter knew since God was up, there was no reason for him to stay up. Peter knew since God was working, there was no reason for him to worry. Peter was a picture of God's peace. Why? Because Peter knew the power of prayer in his own life. 
And as we pray, we are filled with God's peace. As we cast our cares on God, we are filled with his peace. As we let our requests be made known to God, we are filled with his peace. As we confess our sins to God, we are filled with his peace. As we lift our eyes to God, we are filled with his peace. As we intercede for others to God, we are filled with his peace. And you see, prayer fills us with God's peace. And God's peace surpasses our every thought. God's peace guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace keeps worry and anxiety and fear and bitterness and stress away from us. We know that prayer helps us to be filled with God's peace, and God's peace helps us to grow in our faith in Christ Jesus. God's peace helps us to become more like Christ Jesus. God's peace helps us to walk in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Prayer helps us sleep because prayer fills us with God's peace, which allows us to sleep well in the midst of our storms. You see, prayer helps us to sleep in the midst of our challenges. Prayer helps us to sleep in our times of suffering. Prayer helps us to sleep in our times of grief and sorrow. Prayer helps us to sleep in our times of worry and anxiety and stress. Prayer helps us to sleep. Why? Because prayer fills us with God's peace. And that's exactly what was happening here. Peter was sleeping in between two soldiers on either side of him in a prison cell with other soldiers standing out guarding the door awaiting his execution that was to come just hours away. A testimony to the power of prayer, how it produces peace in us which allows us to rest well in the Lord. So let's pray this morning. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team's going to come.